Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Holistic Hippie Podcast. This particular episode is all about my own personal experiences with plant medicine, and this has been a highly um, recommended topic, so it's one that I've sort of been biding my time a little bit with because it, it is a little bit taboo, the topic. And I do feel the need to open up this podcast with a bit of a disclaimer because while I'm a huge advocate for plant medicine, I also do not believe that everybody should do it. We have to be so, so, so careful with our present mental health, our present state of being, our mindset, the things that are going on in our lives. And we also have to do a lot of our own research and, and homework when it comes to making a decision like this. We have to take our well-being into our own hands at some level, but at the same time, we want to be cautious and safe. And I, I really think it's important to do your homework. As with anything, you know, the a lot of this information and this medicine and these substances are coming to us from far off places and they've made their way to, you know, the West and when that happens, there is a surge of medicine practitioners or shaman that some are doing it with authenticity and with integrity and others perhaps are lacking um, the integrity or the intention for safety when it comes to sharing these types of medicines. And so it's so incredibly important that you do your homework, that you do your research, that you feel safe and comfortable um, participating in a ceremony like this and you know, there are ways, it seems like I always have, maybe because I talk about plant medicine on Instagram, I, I tend to have a lot of people um, that say, maybe sell these substances following me. Um, you got to be careful. You got to be careful. You want to know where these things are coming from, how they are grown and prepared. Um, and it's not always something that you want to participate on your own. Um, in my experience, you know, what sets plant medicine apart from recreational drugs is a few things. It's the intention as well as the set and setting. And this makes all the difference. I think a lot of us have had experience with some form of recreational drug, be it as a teenager growing up, maybe in our, um, you know, young adults age, but We've had experience, perhaps, at least with something like cannabis. And a lot of the times, you know, what we were looking for, what our mindset has been really as a, as a culture, as a society is really just like a cheap thrill, right? We're looking to have a really good time. And it's not to say that there's anything wrong with that, but it's, it's sort of like, like you're missing the medicine. You're missing what's available and possible with these substances by... Um, you know, kind of using them in a way that's inappropriate or that lacks intention. And so I want to talk a little bit about some of the plant medicines that I've had experience with and really how those experiences have shaped me and have acted as really a guide, a teacher, a mentor on this path. Um, when I was a teenager, I absolutely loved using magic mushrooms. That was probably one of my favorite substances uh, to use recreationally. And I do remember a time where it was almost like a religious experience. Um, the, the oneness with nature and, and really sort of experiencing a connection to nature like I had never, ever felt before. And I think that's always why maybe I had such an affinity towards mushrooms is because of that inherent connection that perhaps at that time, at that age, I didn't realize that we were all longing for in some capacity. And, uh, you know, it's funny because I had really taken a long, a long break from any type of substance as I got older. Um, I, I had smoked cannabis, you know, all through high school, all through uh, most of my 20s. And at some point, I just kind of stopped using it. And my drug of choice would have been alcohol like, like the rest of the world. And I actually don't drink at all anymore um, for a variety of reasons. But I find alcohol to be very... Um, disruptive. It doesn't really add a whole lot of value. In fact, I really dislike the person that I am when I drink um, to excess, I should say, because I haven't really drank to excess in quite a few years now. 
but I used to abuse alcohol like the majority of people in our Western society. You know, we binge drink. We drink with the sole purpose of getting drunk. And um, sometimes there can be fun. I'm sure that's probably why we keep doing it. But a lot of the times it can be destructive. It leaves us feeling dehydrated. We typically eat really bad food when we drink. And that carries on usually for a few days as we nurse our hangover and just doesn't really fit into uh, the type of lifestyle that I've created because I've come to really enjoy this feeling of vitality. And um, for me, drinking alcohol, it just kind of changes that. I lose what I feel to be this sense of vitality. So I don't, I don't drink at all anymore. And, you know, the first time that I invited plant medicine back into my life with the intention for healing was during a, a period of time where I went through a terrible um, experience with my health. And I've talked about this a little bit on previous episodes. But when I was going through adrenal burnout specifically, um, I was at a place in my health where I was, I was, first of all, had created an autoimmune disease in my body, which was undiagnosed at the time. And with that came a lot of symptoms of anxiety and depression. And um, I was working way too much. I was working three jobs, one of which was teaching yoga. And I was teaching quite a few yoga classes every week. And I would almost like work myself up into a frenzy before I taught a class because I would become so anxious. And it was because I was entirely burnt out. I didn't really have a lot to give. And when you're teaching a class, you're you're giving of yourself. So you better have a full cup because that's where you're giving from. And at this particular time in my life, I was just so burnt out. Um, life had been incredibly difficult. My husband and I were coming out of one of the most challenging traumatic experiences of our lives together. And... I was burnt out. And so it came to the point where I had to stop teaching. I had to quit my, my job teaching yoga, which was really, really hard for me to do. And I had to be gentle with myself. I hadn't been sleeping well for years, which I didn't really realize. Um, but it came to the point where I started to experience insomnia. And for those of you that have ever experienced insomnia, it is the most unusual disgusting feeling because you are so incredibly tired but every single time you get a chance to try to sleep you can't you toss and turn it's like you get trapped somewhere in between sleep and wakefulness and you're not able to go all the way and so I would wake up some mornings not knowing what day it was feeling incredibly anxious from the moment I opened my eyes and my husband would ask me like how are you feeling did you sleep and I'd be like I don't know I don't know and I would just be so 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 anxious there were days where I had to call in like almost call in delirious hello I don't know what day it is I don't know what time it is but I certainly can't come into work I need to lay in bed all day and hope to get some sleep um, it was so so bad and so one of the days my husband had had enough and he said look there's a guy on my soccer team. He smokes a lot of cannabis. I'm going to ask him if he can give us a joint because you need some relief. This isn't great. This is crazy. So he went out and, and my husband's a jock. Like he never really smoked cannabis. You know, he would have been a drinker. He's Irish. He would have been a drinker in high school, but like they never messed around with anything else. They were committed to soccer and he got a scholarship in the States for playing and just never really, I mean, living in the States, you wouldn't necessarily, it's not as easy to experiment with recreational cannabis there. It's, it's a crime, right? So anyways, he, he went and met up with his buddy and got us a joint and brought it home. And, you know, I kind of said like, okay, well, you have to do it with me. I don't want to do it by myself. It's been years. And so the two of us um, had just a little tiny bit, like we're talking, like we rolled this joint and it lasted us for about a week because we only had just a little tiny bit. The intention was to sleep. That was it. So we had a little bit before bed. Um, my husband got really, really quiet. It was really funny because he's like, you know, he's not the type. He's very logical too and like analytical and he's not the type to do something like this. And he got really quiet for about an hour. And then finally it started to wear off a little bit and he thought like I don't like that I don't like the way that makes me feel I really don't like that I'm never going to do that again and then we got ready for bed we got into bed and he just kept going on about how relaxed he felt he couldn't believe he'd never felt that relaxed before so we went to sleep and in the morning we woke up and both of us had slept so well and he just said wow he said I cannot believe that sleep like that is even possible. I've never slept that well. My body has never fully relaxed the way that it relaxed last night. He said, I think we need to be including cannabis in our daily lifestyle. And this is kind of how it brought, it got brought back in. Now, 
at that particular point in, in time, we were living out in Calgary. I had uh, a girlfriend who always had, she was like my, my classic hippie friend, right? Like you'd go to her birthday party and we would be doing a conscious breathwork ceremony followed by like a chakra meditation balancer. Um, you know, she always had, she introduced me to a lot of things that I hadn't really begun to scratch the surface of. And so she had invited me um, to her home for an ayahuasca ceremony. She had a very small gathering of people and she was able to get these shamans who was a couple that were actually from Manitoba that had been living and training in Peru for several years. And so they'd spend half the year in Peru and half the year in Canada. And while they were in Canada, they would do um, ceremonies. And so I decided I had heard about ayahuasca uh, a couple of years previous and, and watched a few documentaries on, you know, people, mostly like YouTube videos with people and, and their experiences. And, uh, you know, they always explained it as like this very religious experience. And so it kind of fascinated me for that reason. Not to mention the stories behind ayahuasca, because we're talking about an entire culture who, um, you know, the, the, the stories behind ayahuasca is that first of all the way that you even make this brew it's a drink that you would that you would consume and it consists of two different plants that grow at opposite ends of the amazon jungle so we're talking about plants that don't even grow next to each other and the stories and the legends go that these shaman these healers were introduced to these plants in their dreams in their visions and were taught by the spirit of the plants themselves how to combine these two properties in order to experience the benefits because what happens with the ayahuasca vine um, the ayahuasca plant itself is a vine and there is actually an enzyme inhibitor in our liver that prevents us from unlocking the medicinal properties, the hallucinogenic properties, the psychedelic properties of the vine itself. This is for our own safety. So that if you were, say, um, I don't know, even an animal grazing on the vine, that you're not going to completely trip out, have a, have a psychedelic experience. However, when you combine it with chacruna, which is a shrub, um, it's part of the coffee family, I believe, that, that grows on the other side of the jungle, when you combine the two of them, the chacruna plant allows you, it sort of disables that enzyme inhibitor so that the, the um, medicinal properties from the ayahuasca are unleashed. And combining these two together in a brew is basically how you, um, how you have to make this particular concoction in order to get the benefits. So I'd learned a little bit about ayahuasca previously and then all of a sudden I had this opportunity and I just thought, hmm, I'm going to do it. And I, I told my husband, he didn't really know a whole lot about it. Like he sort of like, we have this mutual agreement that, you know, I do my thing, he does his thing, we support each other 100%. Um, but he didn't really know a whole lot about this kind of spiritual journey I was on at the time, but he held space for it and he supported me. And uh, so I went... I went to the ceremony and there's a little bit of a, what they call a dieta. So a special diet to prepare you to work with the plants. Um, you know, you're not supposed to have sugar, salt, seasonings. You should no meat, um, no dairy, um, not even any sex. Like they don't want, they want you to be pure and clean and for your energies to be neutral. And so this is one of the things, one of the most holistic things that I love and revere and respect with a lot of these shamanic cultures and tribes is that they believe that everything has a spirit. We're talking every single plant, every single rock, every single mineral has a spirit. And when we take these things um, into our being, their spirit interacts with ours. And so they want you to be completely clean and neutral so that when you're interacting with the medicine, the spirit of ayahuasca, that you don't have other influences like the spirit of coffee, like alcohol, like all of these other um, things that we might consume that might cloud or alter or diminish the experience. So there was a little bit of a dieta. I don't think I actually followed it properly, to be totally honest, the very first time I did it. But I show up at her basement apartment and, you know, we all had um, our yoga mats and blankets and pillows and we were asked to bring a bucket to puke in. <laughs> and so, you know, you get all your supplies and you and you go in and ultimately a lot of people do experience nausea and vomiting uh, during this time, which is said to be very healing in and of itself. 
and uh, that the, the, the purge and for some people it's an emotional purge instead of puking there might be a lot of tears there might be a lot of laughter there's all sorts of different ways that the body can release and purge in this type of an experience so I went and it was it was interesting um, for the people like myself who it was their very first time sitting with the medicine um, we weren't given as much as the others and I just remember the first night being very, very mild. Um, I definitely got sick, but it was strange to me in that experience. You know, we're all we're all together, and there's a period of time where we sort of sit in meditation and silence together, and then the shaman calls us up one by one um, to take the medicine, and we're all silent. And once we've taken the medicine, the lights go off and we sit in darkness and stillness and silence together. And then the, the music starts. And this couple like literally serenaded us with this beautiful, I don't know, I, I want to say Peruvian music. I have no idea, but it was beautiful. And they were singing in another language for hours on end. It was just this beautiful experience. And amidst this beautiful music, people are throwing up, people are crying, people are laughing. One girl was screaming. She was having a rough time. And for some reason, it was okay. Like if you were not under the influence, that would be shocking. If you were to walk into a situation like that, we would all look probably pretty crazy. But the experience itself is pretty beautiful. You feel safe. And so in that first first two ceremonies, I did two ceremonies back to back. <clears throat> it was very mild. Um, I was expecting a lot more of like hallucinations that never really came, although I did have some visions. And that particular time, the vision was of myself, my husband and my dog forming sort of like a constellation. We were stars, but I knew that we were us. And it was a very, very mild experience at this time, as I mentioned, I mean, I was going through insomnia. I was just on the early, um, on the early stages of being diagnosed with autoimmunity. And so there was a lot in my health. My, my mental health was at an all time low. And I don't think I could have withstood a different experience. And so the experience that I had that first time was almost like I was being held in the loving, compassionate arms of what we call the Madre, um, Mother Ayahuasca. And it was bliss. I experienced pure joy for no reason at all. Just this like bliss of being. And the first night was beautiful. I decided to come back for the second night. It was back to back. And it was a little different than how you would experience some ceremonies because this was like inner city. So we weren't at a retreat center. I went home that evening. Well, it was maybe like five o'clock in the morning after the ceremony ended. We sort of... Um, you know, shared our experiences in a circle. We shared fruit together. We hung out for a little while. And um, when everyone felt safe, some people slept over. I lived not too far away. So I drove home and I woke up and I went to work and um, then I came back and did the same thing the next week. So it's a, it was a little bit different than a lot of these are done at retreat centers where you spend the night and you might spend a few nights um, and you have time to, to nap and to journal and to process your experience. So the second night I came back and uh, again, it was, I, I was given a little bit of a higher dose the second time, which I um, lost pretty quickly. I vomited quite quickly in that experience. And so I often wondered if maybe I threw up too soon and didn't really get a whole lot of the effects. But what was interesting with that experience, because again, it was another night of pure bliss, of pure joy, of pure, just feeling like whole. Um, and I think it was a very, very healing experience for me on a physical level because that's what my body needed. And what the shaman uh, say is that you don't always get what you're looking for, but you always get what you need. You always get what you need. So that second experience, um, it was very mild. There was, again, no hallucinations, but this feeling of bliss. But what was unusual is that I sang along in another language to all of the songs all night long. And this is a language that to this day, I don't know if it was Spanish. I don't know if Peru has its own Peruvian language. And if it was that, I have no idea what language these songs were being sung in. But in the moment, I knew all of them. Almost as if I had sung them before. And in the moment, I almost felt like I was the songs, if that makes sense. So it was like this very very familiar experience 
which is strange because obviously I've never done this before in this life. But it felt like a coming home. It felt like a return to wholeness. It felt familiar and comforting in that way. And so, you know, that sort of opened my journey up with being very curious about plant medicine. Shortly after that, you know, we moved to Ireland for a little while and then a year later back to Ontario. And um, that's when I sort of resumed my exploration with plant medicine. Now, I don't always do full doses. So something that has come up um, recently has been microdosing. And this is something that I've read a lot of different studies on how microdosing has been so, so useful for mental health, specifically for things like PTSD, for things like depression and anxiety, helping to manage the symptoms. Now, when you take a microdose of anything, in my case, we're talking um, magic mushrooms, psilocybin, when you take a microdose of psilocybin, you do not have hallucinations. It is not a psychedelic experience, but instead it almost provides you, it sort of levels you out. And so it's not necessarily a cure, but it's a way for you to manage your symptoms that you do not get swept away by your anxiety or depression, that you are able to see it clearly and to, to sort of choose. You're able to stay present in a way that's very different when you are under the influence of depression or anxiety because depression really pulls us into a, a negative tailspin um, anxiety again like we we panic we create scenarios that haven't happened yet and we obsess over them and so you know when you're microdosing, it's a, an amazing way to manage so that you stay consistent that you don't get swept away you don't get pulled in these negative tailspins you're able to anchor yourself in the present moment and I started microdosing with mushrooms when we moved back to Canada because at this point I was coming back into my my family and I had left my family for a reason a long time ago it was over a decade that I had really gone and um, my choice would never never have been to move back to this particular part of Canada where all of my family lived because of the dysfunction and the pain and the trauma that was still uh, maybe lingering in an unprocessed place within me. But my husband had uh, done a little bit of research and this was a great place where he would have a lot of opportunity for you know his industry. And so we came here and right away I was faced with the challenges of re-entering my family um, as a completely different person, as a completely different version of myself. And so I was in this place where I really had to set boundaries because it's almost like, I don't know if anyone else has ever done this, like you go, you go away, you spend time away, and then you come back into these familiar relationships. And so much has changed with you, but everything else is the same. And so, you know, I'm coming back in and I'm being treated in the same way by my mother, but I'm like, hold on, that doesn't fly anymore. That's not how we're going to do things anymore. You know, being um, treated and spoken to in in ways that I no longer tolerate right and so I was having to set boundaries and really create brand new relationships with my parents with my sisters with my grandparents and the people in my life and it was really difficult for me at the beginning it was really really challenging and so um, starting to to microdose was such an amazing way that I could stay more present that I could um you know, really be able to deal with the challenges with a light heartedness instead of, um, you know, the stress that normally came with it, the anxiety that normally came with it. And this is something that um, I have since even mentioned to different clients of mine that came to see me for nutrition, um, only certain ones that I thought, you know, might be open-minded enough. And my own sister, um, there's a lot of mental health in my family. And one of my sisters who has been struggling for years and been on all sorts of different types of medication to manage anxiety and depression, who also would have had issues with substance abuse, and she started microdosing with, with mushrooms and actually was able to come off of all of her medication. And there's a levelness to her now that she didn't have before. And we were in the position where she was renting the basement of the home we were living in and we were renting the top floor. So, I mean, she was there, right? And the days or the weeks where she seemed really stressed out, I would ask her, like, have you been taking your mushrooms? 
And she would be like, oh my gosh, I just ran out. I didn't even consider that. And so it was like this very obvious when she wasn't taking them, she was reverting back to these, um, this anxiety, this depression. But when she was consistent, she leveled out entirely. And there's tons of research on this. So I'll link um, one of my favorite websites in the show notes here. And when we came back to Canada, you know, we started experimenting with microdosing, but Colin, my husband, um, he had been reading up on, I think probably, and, and also probably seen it on the Joe Rogan show on DMT, dimethyltryptamine. And this is one of the most potent, powerful plant medicines that you can take. Now, DMT is actually the um, psychoactive component in the ayahuasca vine. But when you are drinking the brew, because it has to go through the stomach and the liver kind of interferes, you obviously can't um, use the DMT in that way. That's why you have to bring that other plant in the shrub. However, some scientists, I don't know who discovered, a way to extract the molecule DMT in a form that is smokable. And so we, I don't know why, he was on the hunt for DMT for whatever reason. Um, I think he thought it would be a really potent healing substance for his for his journey. And this is somebody that like literally never smoked cannabis before. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, like he wants to skip from cannabis to the most powerful uh, psychedelic that there is. And so we found, um, she calls herself a neo-shaman. We found a, a local practitioner who has such a beautiful way of guiding you through ceremony because it is not, it's not like a recreational experience. You're going into this person's home and she's doing a bit of energy clearing with you. There's breath work involved. There's crystals. Um, you know, she's teaching you how to breathe in a different way. There's conversation, there's tea, and then the actual experience. And my husband went and he experimented with it first. There's two different forms of DMT. Um, N-DMT is one strain and there's one called 5-MeO-DMT. And this particular strain is, it actually comes from, it's, it's also known as Bufo alvigaris, I believe. I might be saying that wrong. Um, but Bufo is a toad in the Amazon forest that excretes this substance, this 5-MeO-DMT, um, as a defense mechanism. So um, that's the way that if it was under attack, it would excrete this substance and the, the attacker would be completely, like rendered completely useless. They would be confused and disoriented. And so... This, I don't know who figured out how you could excrete, um, you know, get this excretion and turn it into a substance that can be smoked. But these are the two forms of DMT that are being used uh, ceremonially today. And so when it, when it came time for my ceremony, I had decided we watched documentaries. They both offer something different. Um, the first form, NDMT, usually offers a lot of visuals, whereas the toad, the bufo, is not necessarily a visual experience. And so I went in for the bufo, the toad. And the way that I would describe the experience, I mean, it was absolutely a religious experience. Um, and I was very afraid going into it. I was very scared. And I think that if you are, um, you know, if you're doing your homework, you probably will feel a bit of fear because it's completely unknown. And you're going into it ultimately with the intention to heal to help um, unlock certain places within you that might need healing and so I went into the experience of using the bufo pretty scared um, you do have to breathe in very deeply and, and hold for about 10 counts and as you exhale it just takes you away it's a very quick experience we're talking anywhere from 5 to 20 minutes and 20 minutes would be a long time but when you're in that experience, time does not exist. It is not a concept. So with this particular experience, I, I took a deep breath in. I held for 10 counts and I released. And as I did, I started to become very aware of how nervous I was. And then I became very aware that because of this nervousness, I was sweating. And I became very aware of all of the little droplets of sweat on various places of my body. I started to just become so aware. And it was almost like my awareness started to fragment. 
and it was being divided. It was still one awareness, but multiple different viewpoints because I was now fixated on these little droplets of sweat. And the only way that I can describe what happens next is that I started to dissolve. The entire personality of Jesse dissolved. Um, everything that I relate to dissolved. And yet, it was almost in some ways what I imagined dying to be like. And yet, there was something so much more powerful, so much more clear, so much more aware that was still present and observing. And so everything about who I think I am was gone. And yet here I was observing. And it was like completely dissolving into nothing and yet everything all at once. The experience was fleeting and it was quick. And, um, you know, eventually when I did start to open my eyes I laugh a lot it seems and she records all of the sessions and so you can listen back to them later because she'll ask you a lot of questions as you're coming out of it to try to kind of pull extract from you like what was the experience what did you experience what did you learn what was there for you and um, I didn't take a, a, a lot for that first round and so it was very mild but it's like I felt like I experienced what death might feel like and I came out of it sort of laughing like oh my gosh what are we so afraid of this is craziness like I have been so afraid to die for as long as I can remember and then I experienced that and I'm like wait a second like that's got to be that's got to be it that's got to be it and there's more how could I disappear and dissolve entirely and yet still be so profoundly aware and it was sort of like, it's like all of the spiritual teachings that I had learned up until this point. I, I used to listen a lot to my, my, my teacher, Ramdas, not my teacher, I mean his podcast. But he would talk about how all we are in our essence is pure loving awareness. And I always thought that sounded really nice. Now, Ramdas, if you know his story, I mean, he's, exp he's experimented a lot with LSD. That would have been his sort of um, spiritual drug of choice, I suppose, in, in the times where he was experimenting. And, you know, this idea of all we are is pure loving awareness. I experienced that for myself and the entire personality of Jesse was gone. And yet here was this, this awareness, this presence, this life force that exists without the personality of Jesse. And in many ways, it is such an ego shattering experience because you realize that like who you think you are is not true. <laughs> There's no truth to it. Now, it's not to say that we want to dissociate, but this is a really important thing to understand because we take ourselves so seriously. We take our opinions, our experiences so seriously. And they're really a tool to teach us what we need to learn on this path. We don't need to identify them, identify with them um, to, to this place where we think we are the body, the personality, right? Like, and it was, it was such a profound experience because, it, and it was short and it was fleeting and nothing really happened except for the fact that I experienced what I believe to be the truth of who and what I really am. And I'm not Jesse. And that's such a relief because I mean, she's okay, but she's got a lot of work to do, you know, and there's times where she's really disappointed in herself. Um, and I don't usually refer to myself in third person, but for the sake of this, that's what it felt like. You know, it's like, oh, like, thank God I'm not just that. That's so limited. But what I experienced is limitless. It's infinite. It exists and it's never been born and it's never died. It is. It just is. And so DMT, you know, really cracked me wide open. Now, even with my husband's experience, like he came out of that a different person. And so I think this is like a huge part of the medicine is that it's not necessarily within the experience itself because the experiences a lot of the times don't make much sense. Um, they seem to be very personal. Everybody experiences something different. There are a lot of similarities, which is interesting, um, but it's personal and it doesn't always make a lot of sense, but it's the change that, that lingers and continues after the experience that is where a lot of the medicine is. When you experience something like that, like this is almost equivalent to a near-death experience. And people very rarely come out of a near-death experience the same. They're changed because they have experienced something far beyond this world and it changes you from the inside out. 
And that's the same idea with plant medicine is that you experience something beyond what you're told um, is possible. And you go into realms that you've never known about. And you cannot come out of that experience unchanged unless you went in with the wrong intention in the first place. And this happens a lot. And so this really, you know, this really kind of stood out to me and a lot of the change that becomes possible later. I mean, I found myself to be more compassionate. I found myself to be more tolerant, more relaxed, less reactive, just naturally. It's like I didn't have to work hard for it. It's like I had gone into this experience and it changed me somehow. So I went back again because, of course, I had to, I had to try the other kind and, um, the the most recent time that I went back, um, it was so interesting because there was so much fear. Um, I was really afraid. And I think also in many ways, every time I do plant medicine, it becomes harder um, because I'm more humbled by, you know, what's possible. I mean, it blows your 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 mind. Um, you know, going going back in for another ceremony, um, you know, again, it's so fascinating because for my second ceremony, my eyes were open, but I wasn't seeing through my eyes. I was seeing something in a different dimension. It was more so shapes and colors, but it was the feeling of almost like duality, if that makes sense. Um, like I was, I was in and of myself as a being I was almost like a heartbeat. I was oscillating between everything that is, all the contrast. I could feel myself. My breath was um, very intense during the second ceremony. And um, I could feel myself oscillating. It's almost like I was going in between the most extreme bliss that one could experience and the most extreme suffering. And I was going back and forth between the two at such a rate that there was no time to judge it. And it, it was actually beautiful. I think I described that coming out of it as feeling as though I was being held in the womb of the universe. Um, like it was the place before birth. And it was such a fascinating experience because you, what you're experiencing, you are experiencing without your human senses. Your human senses don't travel to this particular dimension and so what I was experiencing and this is why it's so difficult to talk about because it's like the, the words aren't there there's not enough words um, to really describe in full what these experience do and how they can shape you and it was fascinating because at this particular point in time uh, my husband and I you know had sort of been back and forth for a couple of years like do we want to have kids do we not want to have kids um, we didn't when we got together and then we thought maybe we might and then we didn't and we sort of went back and forth and it's in a place where I might have been holding this particular question in my being it wasn't at the forefront of my mind or conversations but it was in there and I got a message from this beautiful female voice as I was coming back into my body and she said, my child, look at all of the beautiful children that you already have. And I came out kind of like with my head turned sideways, like, what, what does she mean by that? Like, what does that even mean? But it was like this like defining moment where I thought, no, you're right. Like my instinct not to have children, that's, that's right in this life. That's my answer. And somehow she says, I already have beautiful children, whether she's referring to past lives, I'm not sure whether she's referring to the interconnectedness of all that everyone is my child and I am the mother and I'm also the child, you know, like it's like this beautiful interconnectedness. It's where they're going to lock me up after this episode. <laughs> um, but you know, this, these types of experiences are beyond what we can explain. They're beyond the physical plane. They're beyond anything that we have experienced with our five senses in this limited reality. I've gone ahead to sit with ayahuasca again in ceremony um, after my experiences with DMT. And it's so fascinating because I was really confronted in these experiences with my fears. And this is where so much healing becomes possible because it's like you meet yourself, you meet your own resistance, you meet your own um, limitations and you have an opportunity right then and there to, to work through them. And it's so beautiful and it's very hard work. 
um, the most recent ayahuasca ceremony that I did, and, and this is with a beautiful, beautiful um, practitioner, shaman, uh, and, and she holds such a powerful space. She has so much integrity um, to make sure that everybody is safe, that everybody is coming in with the right intention. Um, you know, she is such a beautiful woman to work with. And this particular experience, this was one of the hardest experiences of my life. I had gone to the ceremony with three others that I knew. And, um, you know, I had been asked, I'm always asked, I, I would share a lot pretty openly about plant medicine. And so people would ask me like, oh, the next time that you go, let me know. And, you know, I sort of laugh because it's not like, it's not something that you do like recreationally. Like it's, you got to work up the courage. You've got to be prepared. You've got to have an intention. And you really have to feel called because, I mean, nobody would put themselves through, you know, we're talking like a seven hour ceremony laying on the ground. Um, it's, it's hard on the body. It's hard on the mind. It's hard on the spirit. And so it's not something that you would ever want to do recreationally. Like good luck to anyone that wants to become addicted to these types of substances because they're hard. It's like, um, oh gosh, like I always tell people it's like 10 years of therapy in one evening. And so with this, um, this Second, you know, it was, it was, um, my second, my second complete ceremony, two nights back to back. And, um, my intention really was to kind of introduce these other women to this medicine. Um, I didn't really, I didn't really feel like I had a lot of work to do. I figured like, well, I'm sure I'll get something from it, but I, I wasn't really feeling like I necessarily needed some big dramatic healing. And, um, the first night was very interesting because I, I, I don't know how to explain what happened. Um, in this particular experience, it was, it was really blissful. There's a lot of joy. Um, you know, they, they always offer you at some point in the line, a second cup, um, or a third cup, depending on the evening. And so after the first cup, nothing really happened. And I thought, okay, I'll take a second cup and you can feel, you can feel the dimension shift. You can feel that you are entering another plane of reality. It's very palpable. And so with this particular um, experience, when the dimension shifted, I started to have visions and I became my mother. And I, f I began to cry, I began to weep. And it was really interesting because I was so present to what was going on. I was weeping, but they weren't my tears. I felt no sadness in my body. And I began to see visions of my mother and every position that I would take. At one point I was on my hands and knees, but I was looking in my mind's eye at a scene where my mother was on her hands and knees weeping. And I was almost channeling my mother. I became my mother. And I became very aware that the crying was not my own, that I was releasing trauma for my mother. And the voice of ayahuasca, you, you often you are guided by a voice that sort of speaks to you telepathically. It shows up as a thought in your mind and it's not your own thought because you're not that wise or profound. And, you know, this mother was basically telling me, she was explaining that this is, this is a different way that I can help my family, that I can help to process and transmute trauma for them on their behalf. And she was showing me sort of the lineage of women in our family tree. And it was really, really interesting. And so there was a period of time where I was crying, um, but they weren't my tears and I was releasing them. And it was almost like an offering to the women in my family um, to, to help to do my part to release some of that trauma for our family line, for healing for everybody. And that experience ended. And then it was just this like blissful, enjoyable evening. I was listening to the music and just like, just in absolute bliss. And, uh, it was hard on my body. And so the next day I called my husband and I sort of told him like, listen, I'm getting too old for this shit. Like I'm, I'm done. I, I wish I had my car because I would drive home tonight. I don't feel like I want to stay for the second ceremony. I don't feel like I need it. Um, I just want to come home. But, you know, I brought all these girls here, so I can't just leave them. Like, obviously, like, I'm not even driving. I can't leave even if I wanted to. So I said, you know what? I'm just going to go into the ceremony tonight, and I'll just drink one cup and just enjoy the music. Like, I have no intention of fully participating. I'm tired. I'm getting too old for this. Like, you know, I'm probably my last ceremony is what I said. And so we go into that, we go into that ceremony. Um, and I laugh because like, 
I just think it's so silly. I was so silly. I thought that I could outsmart the madre, right? And um, so I go into this second ceremony and my gosh, I explained previously in my first in my first ceremony how, you know, you you sit in silence and the shaman calls you up and there's a beautiful she brings in she she says a prayer to bring in the different spirits and there's this beautiful beautiful ceremonial aspect where she's inviting the spirits of the north east south west. She's inviting all of the elements and the ancestors and the spirit of ayahuasca herself to to join us in this ceremony. And when she's done, she lights a candle and all the lights come off and we get called up one by one to take our medicine. And so after the medicine is taken, we sit in silence for, it doesn't, it's so hard to know what time, maybe 30 to 40 minutes, maybe an hour, I'm not sure. And then after that hour has taken place, then the music begins. And typically when the music begins is when it starts to hit most people. Um, And so that's when you would start to maybe hear some puking or some crying or what have you. Well, in this ceremony, I'm fully sitting there and we, and she had us all go around at the beginning to state what our intentions were to be in ceremony. And of course, my intention was to not participate. So I had to change my intention pretty quickly because I'm not going to share that with the group. And uh, so I just said, what did I say? My intention was to receive, no, to surrender, to surrender. And so when it came to be my turn, I went up and she looks at you. There's no communication, but she's looking into your soul and she's looking at me and I'm sending her telepathic messages, hoping that she gets, Hey, don't fill my cup just a little bit. I'm just having one cup. I'm not participating tonight. Just give me a little bit. And she sort of like looks at me sideways. She stopped pouring halfway and she looked at me sideways and then she filled it right to the top. And I'm like, okay, she didn't hear it. Got to work on my telepathic skills. (laughs) And so, um, she fills it up and I held the glass for a little longer and I looked at it and I just said, to the madre. I said, Mother Ayahuasca, if you have something for me, you got to give it to me with this one cup because I'm not brave enough to take a second cup. I'm terrified. I took my drink. I sat down and I said, all right, you're, you're in it now. There's nothing you can do. There's no turning back. We're sitting there in silence and I start to feel maybe 20 minutes in. I'm like, oh man, I'm going to get sick. Like, oh God, the music's not even playing yet. Like, hold off, hold off. So I'm sitting there and you know, when you're feeling like that, like the saliva is coming into your mouth and I'm trying to swallow it back down and no, don't be the first one to puke. You know, it's like that ego comes in like, no, 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 like you got to stay like a little bit longer. But then I realize, oh, maybe if I puke, I'll get rid of all the medicine. And then for sure, I won't have to participate because I will have got rid of the medicine just like in my first ceremony back in Calgary. So I let myself puke <laughs> and I was so wrong. I was so wrong. We're, we're still sitting in silence and I'm getting ill pretty violently at this point. And, um, it hit me straight away and I started to bawl uncontrollably and the sensations and I've explained it later and this is um you know exactly one of the reasons why this is not a substance that anyone could become addicted to I started to experience the only way that I can describe it is death and the sounds that were coming out of me, like everybody was along for my journey. Like nobody else had been affected by the medicine yet. Like it was so early on and it hit me so hard. Like I had asked her, Hey, if you got something, give it to me. And she gave it to me. And I started to feel almost a sensation as though I was being ripped from outside of my body, like being pulled out, ripped from my body. It was so, so painful. And then there was a little bit of like a, a lull, And then all of a sudden, this sensation like I'm being now shoved back into something too small for me. And what became apparent, this was a cycle that I started to then repeat for about two hours straight. And I say two hours because when I was released from it was about the time she had offered a second cup, which is usually a couple hours in. And this was a cycle that literally I went through for about two hours of birth or sorry, it would be death and rebirth, and then a little bit of a break in between, and then death and rebirth. And every single time I'd go through this cycle, her voice would come into my mind, and she would say, all lives, one body, all lives, one body. And it was this experience of literally what I what I understand now and I and I don't understand I mean this is how I'm I'm trying to understand it and I hope to gain more clarity as time goes on but the only way that I can understand it is that 
it's almost like an integration of all past lives into this life now. And it went on. I had to psych myself. I was talking to myself through that, like, oh, you're okay. You're okay. You're still here. You're okay. And I'm touching my body like, yep, no, I'm still here. It's okay. You're okay. You're alive. Everything's fine. You're going to get through this. And it was the hardest thing that I have ever done. I cannot explain to you how difficult that was. It was the most humbling experience of my entire life. And it was the most terrifying experience of my entire life. And somehow the most liberating. When I was finally released from it, oh my gosh, it was like the most joy I've ever felt in my entire life. And oh, I just, I was able to finally relax. I was able to stop crying. Um, there was so much that I released in that two hours, all of the, the tears and the fear. And it's so interesting. There's particular places in my body where I, I've learned that I'm carrying fear. And one of its one of them is in sort of like my heart space and the other is in kind of my third eye. And it's like I've had blocks in these particular places, physical, I can feel them. Um, this particular block at my heart, like I always used to call it a hernia because I could feel it specifically if my posture was bad. Um, but it's like this place where I've always been aware, like there's some trauma or something there. And I realized in this session, it was fear that I had been carrying fear physically in my body. And it could be past life fear. It could be um, so many different things. Who knows, right? Like we're getting into realms that none of us can can really explain. We're just mere humans. We're, we're mere mortals. And so this particular experience, um, wow, it was, it was powerful. It was um, life-changing in so many ways. It, it, it takes weeks, if not months, if not years to fully process and integrate what you go through in a ceremony like that. And this is why I say it's like 10 years of ceremony, uh, 10 years of, of therapy in one evening, because I have never, I've, I've done counseling and talk therapy before. And most of the time I was always bored by it because I, I'm such a deep thinker and I'm such a deep feeler that I already know why I'm feeling what I'm feeling, but I need to get rid of it. How can you help me process it and integrate it? And that's always what I found to be missing in counseling and in talk therapy. Whereas in this experience, it's like, you know, and, and part of what she said to me, I mean, here's the thing. I am somebody who's obsessed with death. I'm so fascinated with um, the afterlife and with what happens next. Um, I don't believe that death is the end. I don't believe in death, period. I believe that, that death is birth um, and that we're only ever being reborn and reborn and reborn. And one of the messages that I took away from that experience was you want to work with death. You need to remember it. And... Um, it was interesting. And I don't know, I still don't know, like, why was I given that experience? Why was I shown what I was shown? I don't know. I assume that one day it will come full circle and it will make sense. Um, and I have felt often a passion to get involved with uh, working with the, with the dead and dying. Um, this is part of what I have been really tapping into learning about core shamanism for is, is to learn more about the afterlife and how we can work with people that are dying and help them to pass in peace. Um, this is something that I would love to branch into at some point for those that are maybe terminally ill. And so I don't know, I don't know why I was given that experience because we can be given so many different experiences, but I'll tell you something. It is the strangest thing that you can come into a room full of say 10 strangers and you're hearing men weep, grown men weeping, and you're hearing people have these breakthroughs. If you were to walk into that, like you would think, what kind of a cult is this? Everyone drank the Kool-Aid. This is crazy. You need to run the other way. You know, and I, I fully understand that. And that's why these things need to be experienced more than they need to be talked about because you don't really gain anything from talking about them it's the actual experience that is so incredibly transformative and you know every single time that you meet with this type of plant medicine this type of um, otherworldly connection there is work that's done on your ego right because the ego is what keeps us um, sort of like in our illusion, like the ego is our, our our personality and it makes us separate but being separate is is not true. We are all one, but we're not experiencing oneness because we're experiencing separation. We're in these physical bodies. We're separate from everybody else. Um, you know, there's there is a very innate feeling of separation of individuality. 
And so when you meet with these plant medicines, you experience connection and oneness in a way that you, you could only hear about, but never really understand plant medicine. And there's so many different kinds that I, I still have yet to try. I don't even know if I'll try them all, to be honest with you. I mean, I'm, uh, I'm on a quest for truth and that leads me into some interesting scenarios, but when you work with plant medicine, there's so much that becomes available to you. There's so much healing and, and processing of trauma because ultimately we have to release. We have to release. Trauma can live in our cells. It can live in our bodies. Our bodies remember everything. And what we don't express, we suppress. And so where else can you go? I mean, this is why you look at a lot of, if you've ever watched um, the documentary on Osho that's on Netflix right now, Wild Wild Country, it's it's so sad because a lot of these like communes turn into cults and uh, just like it gives such a bad name to it. But these people were connecting because they were having breakthroughs. They were recovering from trauma. Osho is well known for what he calls his dynamic meditation. And it's kind of wild. Like if you were to walk in on a bunch of people doing Osho's dynamic meditation, what you're going to see is people screaming, crying, punching the ground, like having a fit, like full adult temper tantrums. Some might be laughing hysterically. Some might be sobbing uncontrollably. And it's it's an emotional release. And when they're done, I believe there's some dancing and then there's like a, a shivat asana meditation and it is a way to to release stagnant stuck emotion there's so much beauty and power in that now that's why i say plant medicine is not for everybody for some people it's way too intense it could um you know it could break somebody with a very fragile psyche and so you've got to make sure that you do your homework. You've got to make sure that you are um, working with substances that you can trust, that you can trust the efficacy, you can trust the location, the sourcing, the, the methods of brewing. You trust the person that you're with is going to hold a really safe space for you. And you can ask a bunch of questions. But it's, uh, it's a type of experience that if you feel called to, it can offer the most profound healing that is available. And ultimately, it's a place where you meet yourself in a different way, a place where you're able to process difficult emotions and traumas and experiences, and then move on, leave them, let go, integrate the lessons and leave the pain. And so that's been sort of my, my experiences. I mean, I still use cannabis daily. Um, that's a medicine that I use for sleep. And I don't need it like I did when I was um, going through insomnia, but I, I do like to use it for relaxation, sometimes for clarity and creativity. Um, and we also microdose with LSD um, as well as um, mushrooms. And, and that's become not necessarily like a daily or a constant. That's something that I always want to make sure that I'm using it intentionally. I'm not, um, I don't ever need to these substances, but I recognize the potent, powerful um, substance for what it has to offer and then use it accordingly. And I mean, again, with microdosing, you're not experiencing any psychedelic um, type of experience at all. It's more so the euphoria. It's the lightheartedness. It's the um, laid backness. You know, you don't take things so seriously. You're able to navigate um, what could otherwise be a very stressful situation with a lot more ease and joy. And so I would use it, you know, in certain circumstances where say, if I know that I'm going to be dealing with someone that's difficult for me to be around, I might take a, a microdose so that I can meet the circumstance with the type of presence that is required so that I can stay consistent and grounded in the experience. So that's all I'm going to share on plant medicine for now. I might follow up this episode another time because there's so much to be said, but I am going to link to a lot of the research that's being done. And if you follow any of these sort of like alternative news, you'll see that a lot of these substances are now being decriminalized and actually legalized for use in therapeutic settings. And this is such an amazing milestone. I think places like Colorado have, have got um, much different 
much different laws governing these types of plants because I do believe there are places where you can use peyote, which is a, a cactus, um, and and you can use all sorts of different substances in this particular state for healing. And there's lots of healing centers that are set up for this. Um, so there is there is a lot that's being done in the world of plant medicine. I encourage you to do your research, and I would love to hear from you if you have had your own experiences um, or if you are curious. You know. Um, as always, I love to hear from whoever is listening, uh, really just to, to understand what you're learning, what you're taking away, what you want to hear more of. Uh, so please feel free to reach out, connect with me via email or through Instagram. And have a beautiful, beautiful day wherever you are, whatever you're doing. I hope that you are present and I hope that you feel balanced. And if you don't, I hope that you can lean in to the wisdom of your being so that you can get what you need as you continue to navigate this wild, strange life that we have found ourselves in. Thank you so much for listening. Have a beautiful, beautiful day, week, month, and we will see you next time on the Holistic Hippie Podcast.